0: Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come and to sing to you and to sing about you. And Father, I pray that you would now give us hearts as your word is opened that we might just continue to to learn from one another, to teach one another uh, through your word and through song. I pray that you would uh, be with us as we open a, a topic that is, is so prominent in our world today, and I pray that we would do it with grace and with truth. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here this morning. My name is Brandon. I'm executive pastor here at Bethel Baptist Church, and uh, Pastor Ken has allowed me to, to speak today, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. As uh, Pastor Ken is coming back from uh, Noah and and his um, er, from Noah's wedding, Julia's wedding, um, as I was thinking about what to preach on this morning, I I was struck with with how much this is everywhere. It, we we see this this topic on television, uh, we see it in our neighborhoods, we, we see it in our grocery stores, we we see it in advertising. The, the one place that I don't always see it or hear about it is in church. Uh, Pride Month is always pressing in on us. This is something that has, has grown in uh, popularity. This is something that has grown in, in its visibility. And whether you agree or you disagree or whether you take offense at, at Pride Month or you couldn't care less, Whether you're apathetic or you're hungry to hear more, the topic of the LGBTQ plus community is not going away anytime soon. The big idea for today is that the Bible is is clear in addressing the LGBTQ plus community with grace and with truth. I don't have a PowerPoint today. I don't have a I don't have a manuscript today. I want to just open one passage to you this morning as as we preach the, the truth of the word and we see the way that the apostle Paul handles the topic. We're going to see both both very clear truth and, and very real grace. And this is something that that again I'm not I'm not bringing out of out of thin air. Yesterday I asked my kids about the topic. They're, they're 10, and they're, and they're 12, and they're 13 for another few days. And I said, what are, what are some of your thoughts about LGBTQ plus? Um, and they said, well, I, you know, we, they, they didn't ask me, what is that? They didn't ask me. They didn't say, oh, I don't know what you're talking about, Dad. Help me understand that. They, they knew what I was talking about. They've, they've interacted with kids um, in school they, they, they've interacted with, with kids at Christian camps who have identified in the LGBTQ plus community um, some, uh, the, there, are, there are a lot of conversations we've had about Chris from Mr. Beast if you guys don't know who that is ask your kids they know uh, someone who's recently uh, transitioned a Christian uh, YouTube sensation who transitioned or just uh, started taking hormones this year in 2023 uh, Chris from Mr. Beast. So, just a uh, um, Disney characters. Uh, we've we've talked about the Dis- who has Disney Plus, right? And so, so as are I know, you, yeah, that's right. Ellie's like she raised her hand. So, uh, as we're walking through those those shows with our kids, this is something that's coming up. So, I'm not pulling this out of thin air, and and I'm not I'm not trying to go after someone. I'm not going to clobber anyone today, even within this congregation. Uh, and, and with a, a group this size, I would suspect that, that there are people in the, the midst of, of our conversation today who are struggling with, with temptation or with, with the, the, the activity of the LGBTQ plus life. And so I'll, I'll define it very quickly and then we'll, we'll jump in. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to First uh, Corinthians chapter 6 is where we're going to be. First Corinthians 6. now I don't i don't want today to be uh, scripted, but I do want it to be simple. I want it to be something that you can grasp there are There are multiple texts we could go to. this is a very uh, very gnarly, very um, complex topic because we 're dealing with people and and um, the way that they the, the, the way that they see the world we're're we're dealing with worldview, dealing with emotion dealing with with sensuality and, and relationship and so We're not going to be able to do everything that we ought to do today, but we can do something. And and what we can do is we can identify that that this is something to talk about. And as one of your pastors, I want to equip you for the work of that ministry. I I want you to know how you can compassionately and confidently engage in a conversation with someone who you agree about this with or who you would disagree about with this. And we don't have to have our fists raised in the air in protest when a world who doesn't know Christ acts as though they don't know Christ. We don't don't have to be threatened by that. We don't have to be angry about that. We can engage in conversation about those things. And so that's why we're having this conversation today. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, before we jump into the passage itself, um, it's good for us to, to get our bearings in the book because uh, jumping into a book, I, I want you to see Paul's ethic and the way that he's dealing with this, and that's going to be very important in the way that we see what he says because he's going to very clearly lay out both truth and grace in 1 Corinthians 6. But if I was to explain the, the culture of Corinth, it would be that it was a, an urban environment very diverse. People from all different types of backgrounds coming to one place. And, and there, are, there are multiple ways to be tempted. There, there would be the Aphrodite cult. There would be other ways that you could be tempted into, into luxury or tempted into sensuality. Uh, tempted into uh, to all kinds of things in Corinth. And Paul... Speaking into that goes right at it. He, he doesn't beat around the bush. He comes in, but he comes in and, and he's coming from this place of compassion, even, even thankfulness. And, and again, the Corinthian church was not a model church. The, the Corinthian church, they were, they were actually falling prey to the sensualities. They were falling prey to the temptations of the time. But Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll, we'll start in chapter 1 and we'll walk through to chapter 6 just the next couple of minutes, Paul says this, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So there's a thankfulness that Paul is coming into the conversation with. He's, he's writing this letter. He's heard some things about the church. And so the reports he's gotten back from the church, he's, he's now addressing that in the letter. You can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. The, the social and the political landscape seek to divide the church over the LGBTQ issues. When I say LGBTQ, you, you probably know, but if you don't, so, so uh, these, are, these are terms, uh, L is, is lesbian. G is gay. B is bisexual. LGBT is transgender. Q would be queer or questioning. Now, I'm, I'm not meaning to impose those on you if you haven't had these conversations with your, with your kids as we're reading through the Bible and we understand what sexual immorality is. That's just something that comes through in our yearly Bible reading. But the world is not going to wait for that conversation. That conversation is happening in the first, second, third grade in public school. It's something that is happening on, on many platforms and it is coming at us. And so how do we engage with that well, Paul is, is writing to a church that is hung up in some sexual immorality, but he says that I'm going to preach Christ, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but, but we preach Christ crucified and knowing it's a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. He's going into this topic knowing that what he's going to preach uh, is not going to to address the itching ears of the hearers. It's not going to be sophisticated. Uh, The church in many ways today is depending on social commentators to bring in um, wisdom or to bring in logic into the argumentation for sexual immorality. And what I would say is that that while those people are, are bringing logic and they are bringing some wisdom, that is not the basis of the argument. The basis of the argument is the word of God. That's, that's what Paul is preaching, is Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse, verse 2 says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready. And so Paul is going to write simply, but he's also going to write compassionately. You can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. We're just building a runway up to where we're going to get in 1 Corinthians 6. We want to see the ethic that Paul is writing with. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers." For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Paul has a compassionate ethic as a father. Paul is coming alongside and saying, I know there are a lot of people who don't care about you personally, but are filling your feed with information. They're filling your mind with opinion. They're giving you this worldly wisdom, or this emotion-driven wisdom, or, or, or this this very attractive sounding argument and you are just getting pummeled over and over and over again. Countless in the original language is 10,000 different opinions. Paul's saying you have countless opinions coming at you, but you don't have many people who care for you individually. If there's anything that sums up our social media, it would be that so many of us are being fed by our social media and by our 250-character clips. And we're not being cared for individually. We're not being pastored and shepherded well in this topic biblically. And so it's really important that, that we understand why are we being so confused? Why are we being so taken by this? Uh, and, and in the Corinthian church, it would be because somebody has not come alongside and said, I want you to, to imitate me as I imitate Christ. I want you to stick close to me. I want, I want this to be like a father and a son relationship. And that is how Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church. Now, he goes into these reports. And, and there is sexual immorality uh, defiling the church in chapter 5. And then there are these lawsuits among believers in chapter 6. You can see that at the, the top of your Bible, or at the top of the chapter in your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he gets to the end of that conversation about this immorality, about this oppression that's being used in the legal system at Corinth. And then he jumps into the passage that we're going to read about today. The passage is very clear in a, in a very fatherly way. In a, in, a very, in a very simple way, Paul is going to identify sin in the Corinthian church. Then he's going to give the hope of the gospel in that. He's going to show the grace of God that has gotten them out of that sin practice. And then he's going to give us that idea of, of identity down at the end in, in chapters um, chapter 6, 19, and 20. So, simply, fatherly, straightforward, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The first point that I would make here would be that that there is such a thing as sin. And so when we look at, at LGBTQ plus activity, participation, life, we see here that, that that is under that idea of sexual immorality. We see that, that there are um, the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality will inherit the kingdom of God. He's speaking as a father. He's speaking clearly I know that that is something that, just to say that, is, is out of step with our culture in so many ways. I was talking to a, a local pastor friend just this week, and we were talking about what we were doing this week, and I said, this is the passage I was going to preach on, and he just said, whoa, that's a, that's a third rail topic, bro. Like, I don't know if you know what a third rail is, but it's a train track uh, metaphor, and, and so electric trains run on a track and then there's this, there's this third rail that runs the electric current through it. And the big idea is this, if you even touch the third rail, you're dead. But, but Paul speaks clearly. At Bethel, we are people of the word. We, uh, we, are, we are not here to, uh, to, to try to skirt around issues. We're not here to be political. But when our people are being inundated and overwhelmed with, with philosophy and with teaching, as pastors, we want to protect the flock. We want to say things plainly. As, as in that fatherly, in that careful way, we, we see that Paul says, men who practice homosexuality. Now, we could, we could talk through the entire list. This is what you would call a, uh, a vice list. It's, a, it's a, an instrument that Paul uses uh, throughout scripture, you can Google it later. Uh, Vice list in the New Testament. It's in Galatians 5. Um, it's, in, um, it's in Romans chapter 1 at the end of the chapter. Let, let me just turn to Romans. So Romans 1 is another one of these lists. And he and says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. R- uh, remember that the unrighteous won't inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, Romans chapter 1 is another one of these lists. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. It really says that. I didn't throw it in there. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree uh, that, that they practice, uh, that those who would practice such things deserve to die, that not only do they do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. So, this is something that Paul is using, and in this vice list, in this sin list, is homosexuality. And what makes it a little bit messy is the words that Paul is using here, translated in our translation as men who practice homosexuality, there there are actually these two words that are used there, uh, two different phrases. And so those of you who have a King James Bible, you'll see it translated as, nor effeminate, nor abusers of mankind with themselves, something like that. And so we get this idea of, of more than just Uh, homosexuality, but we also see the the other letters in the LGBTQ plus uh, designation. And so Paul is very clearly calling out these things that that blur the lines of what God has done in man and woman. And we'll get there in just a minute. As Paul uses these words, I want to just point out one thing, and I'm going to have you flip in your Bible a little bit, okay? So so when Paul uses this word that we translate men who practice homosexuality or in the King James, the, the effeminate and um, abusers of mankind with themselves, it, he's actually using language out of Leviticus. So um, now again, this isn't a clobber verse. We're not, we're not sharing these verses to do anything other than to say that Paul is saying that, that this is sin, and that's really important in today's culture, and it's hard for us to say, but it is the most loving thing that we can do, and I'll, I'll show you that right here. Uh, so Leviticus chapter 18, uh, this is what's called the holiness code. And, and what um, people who would, who would be against what I'm saying would say would be, well, you can't take Leviticus and apply it to today. That's just a holiness code that had to do with Israel. That doesn't have to do with us today. We'll hold that thought. Uh, Leviticus 18, verse 22 says, you shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It's an abomination. Now, again, I'm, I'm not trying to weight that word abomination. I'm just saying that that's what the text says. And then we're saying that, that people who follow this unrighteous type of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then and Romans chapter one said those people that, that do that list, right? Disobedient to parents, uh, insolent, all of that deserve to die. This is heavy stuff. My brothers and sisters, this is so heavy. This is not just about people in the LGBTQ community, but this is about all of us. This is not something that is us versus them, but we need to make sure that they know that there is truth that they need to hear. And so Leviticus chapter 18 says that, Leviticus chapter 20 says, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, that's that, that's that word that Paul is translating in in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Now, I'm, I'm sharing Leviticus 18 and 20 because of Leviticus 19. Okay, so track with me. What we're talking about is it's really important that that we're able to to tell someone that there's a better way to live and there's a good reason to do it. One is it's destructive to you. It's not healthy for you. Eternally, it's something that will separate you from God if you do not turn from it. And, And what we see here in Leviticus chapter 18 to 20 and in that holiness code, the proponents of LGBTQ plus theology would say, you have to throw out Leviticus. Because it's the holiness code. It's Old Testament. It's not New Testament. Right in the middle of Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20 is Leviticus 19, right? That's, uh, Leviticus 19, 18 says this. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the Son of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. We can't take Leviticus and pull it out of what we see in the New Testament. What are the, the greatest commandments, right? It is that we would love God with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength, and the second is like unto it, that we would love our neighbor as ourself. We see that principle go from the Old Testament to the New Testament to today. Now, there are other things in that Old Testament Levitical code that, that didn't make it through the New Testament. One, and just for the sake of time, just this one will prove the point, And that is that, that uh, there were these, these dietary codes of clean and unclean animals. And that was something that was held to in the New Testament. And then we remember in Acts chapter 10, this Peter, who is one of the apostles, has a vision and, and all these unclean animals laid out. And God says, go and eat. And Peter says, no, no, Lord, like that, that's unclean. I'm not going to do that. That's a Levitical code. And he says, what I've called clean, don't call unclean. And so the principle that we need to follow is we need to know that, that what it is that is from the Old Testament and it is approached and, and talked about in the New Testament helps us to understand what is still binding today. And so we get to this place where we see that, that men who practice homosexuality, along with thieves and the greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, will not inherit the kingdom of God. The other point that I would make would be the words of Jesus. As he is in Mark chapter 10, he gets us to the point like only Jesus can. And in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is being asked about, asked about divorce. And, and this is what Jesus says. He says, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so if we're looking at those sin, that sin list, if we're looking at the vice list that does include uh, LGBTQ um, choices and activity and practice... What is so bad about sin? And maybe that would be a question that we could ask. What What is so bad about sin? Any Any of the sin in those in that vice list, but but LGBTQ included. What? Why does God take sin so serious? Like there's only two. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. There's only two places, right? So, um, that's something we all have to wrestle with. We all have to wrestle with what is so bad about sin. And Jesus gets us right to the point. It's it's because it denies God as creator. It, it denies God as King. It denies God's plan as being best, and it puts us on the throne. And and we understand that the wages of sin is death. We we've heard that. Uh, if you're visiting us for the first time, that's in the book of Romans. That's a, that's a weighty penalty. At, from creation, you were made in the image of God. And, and when Adam and Eve were created, this is Genesis chapter 1 and, and 2. Um, when Adam and Eve were created, he said this, Let us make man in our image. Verse 25, 26. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, and and on and on. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over everything that moves on the earth. What we do when we put ourselves on the throne and we take God off the throne by saying my circumstances dictate my truth. The way that I feel dictates my truth. The way that I'm tempted, the things that I want to do that are in opposition to God, what we do is we make ourselves enemies of God. We've all fallen short. We, we've all become these, these enemies of God in doing what it is that we wanted to do. That's why it's such a, a big deal. That's why Paul is bringing it up. He says, "Don't you know this? This is really important." He uses that phrase, "Do you not know?" Over and over and over again. I'll just I'll walk through a few of them. He says it in, um, in chapter five, verse verse six. Your boasting is not good, boasting about allowing sin into the congregation. Don't you know that a leaven leavens the whole lump? Down in chapter 6, verse 2, verse 3, chapter 6, verse 9, uh, chapter 6, verse 16, chapter 6, verse 19. He's saying these are really important basic things that you need to know. And then as he's just laying that weight onto his children, his spiritual children, he's saying, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There's truth here that that this is sinful practice. But there's grace here in that there is something that has been done for you and been done to you so that you can live a holy life. You can live a righteous life. And what is that? You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So he challenges them. Then he's encouraging them right off the bat. He's saying, This is not the end of your story. You, you know it. You know what it is that you and, and your other church members, you know what it is that, that those who are around you have been through and been in and now been out of. And there is hope for those who find themselves in the LGBTQ community. There's hope. There's an invitation. There's, there's proof that there's a way for you to be able to live a holy and a righteous life. Another another book that Paul writes is in Titus. And so in Titus, and if you want to flip over to your right, if you're in the T books, you're getting close. So Titus chapter three says it this way. When the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration. And the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Verse 7. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. We're not going to inherit the kingdom of God if we practice these things. It's good that we say that out loud. It's good that we talk about that. It's good that we confess that to one another. It's good that we feel the weight of that because then we have this amazing ability to feel the weight that is let off of us when we hear that we are washed and we are cleansed, we are sanctified, we are justified. Some of us, feel really dirty when we know we're not living up to the way that we're supposed to live. It's like this fog in the air of our head. It's like this weight on our shoulders. It's like this fear that we just feel like keeps chasing us. We ask ourselves, why, why am I even here? Would everybody else just be better off if I didn't exist? I can't get anything right. I keep messing up. I'm just no good. I've dug myself into a hole so deep that I'm never going to be able to get out. Those words that Paul speaks But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were washed. You were were made clean. You don't have to feel that fog in your mind. You You don't have to feel that weight on your shoulders. You don't have to feel that dirt that clings to you from your past sin. You have been washed You are not who you once were. And that's the truth. You were sanctified. You were set apart for a purpose. There's a reason why you went through everything in your life that you went through. There's a reason why you've sinned in the way that you sinned. There's a reason why you're here today. You were sanctified. You were set apart for a purpose. There is a reason for you to be here. There's a reason for you to be encouraged And you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I'm going to say this plainly you don't owe God anything, your record is clear. You are not obligated to do something to gain merit with God. Your record is clear. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that? That's, that's what Paul is calling you into to understand that you don't have to do more to make it up in order to, to get into God's good favor. That's not the motivation for the Christian. You have been justified in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of Our God. It is only through Christ that you're justified. It is only through Christ that you're washed. It's only through Christ that you're sanctified because what he did was he lived the life that you couldn't live. And, And we've proved that to ourselves over and over. He died the death that you deserved so that you might live forever, so that you might live free. So that you might live in the abundance of life. That's the invitation. That's the the reality. There is this deep depth of of weight and of sin that's very, very real. But yet there is this real offer of salvation. But Paul doesn't stop there. He's been giving the gospel um, many times uh, in the writing of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is one of the, the earliest books. Uh, that Paul wrote. Romans would be about 10 years later, and you see some of this argumentation even evolve. But if you look in your Bibles, I want to be really clear about something. You're going to see some quotation marks in three different phrases uh, in, in, chapter, in verses thir- 12 and 13. What Paul is doing is Paul is taking the argument of the day and he's saying, Okay, I know what you're going to say, I understand your reasoning. And so in verse 12, he says, All things are lawful for me. But that's not Paul's voice. That's the, that's the, 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 the opponent in the conversation. This would be like uh, my body, my choice. YOLO, right? You only live once. Other, other kind of uh, statements of the day. This is what they were living by in Corinth. All things are lawful to me. Paul says, But not all things are helpful. Corinthians say, all things are lawful for me. Paul says, I will not be dominated by anything. The Corinthians say, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. I live for pleasure. If God didn't want me to have it, it wouldn't be available to me. It's my sensation that I want to be fed all the time. And Paul says this, and God will destroy both one and the other. For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. We heard that in Jesus' uh, own mouth just a few minutes ago. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Paul is saying he's going from challenging to encouraging to reasoning. He's saying this open invitation for forgiveness is here for you, but I want you to know that I understand where you're coming from and I understand what you're thinking because of the 10,000 voices on social media. I know what it is society is trying to pump into you, and I'm saying that's bad for you. It's not good if you live that way. That's not how God intended for you to live. It's actually the most loving thing to tell people at times that the way they're going is destructive. I pray, parents, that you do that. I pray, friends, that you do that when you see a brother and sister in Christ or maybe a family member going the wrong way. I pray that you would reach in and you say, you know what, I don't think that's going to be the best thing for you. It might seem like it at the time, but in the end, it's not going to be effective. So when I was a mechanic for Lexus years ago, before um, before I came to Christ, and, and then a few years after I came to Christ, uh, I would be under a car, I'd be up in the, the 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 over a car in the hood of a car, and I would need to to pop something loose. And there's a tool for everything. So I have a a big toolbox. If there's any mechanics in the room, you know you're always getting new tools. Um, But at times, I would be in such a pinch that I would use a screwdriver as a pry bar. Maybe in that one moment, I, I broke that thing loose. Maybe in that moment, I pried that thing loose and was effective. But that screwdriver was not able to be used again. I was misusing the tool, and because of that, it had effects. In the same way, God knows how you're wired. He knows how you're made. Uh, Pastor Dave read Psalm uh, 139. And we read Psalm 139 together. He says you saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed before me when as yet there was not one of them. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You see God understands what it is that he's asking of you when he asks for for sexual purity. He knows what he's asking of you, young people, when he's asking you to obey your parents. He knows what he's asking of you when he says don't be envious. God knows what he's asking for you. When he asks that you don't be full of rage. He's asking you these things. He is he is laying these things uh, upon you for your own good. And we might say, Well, I don't I don't feel like it's for my own good. I feel like it's actually hard for me because I, I I still struggle with temptation. I still still struggle to be able to do the right thing. I still fall short. And yet Paul is saying, I'm reasoning with you. I'm hearing what you're saying. He's continuing to teach and to say that, that sexual immorality, every other sin is something that is outside the body. But for the person that practices that, it is a sin against their own body. It's something that is, is damaging to them. As one who is a friend of, of um People, uh, multiple people uh, um, in the LGBTQ community, they know that I care about them. They know when we talk, th- what, the way we're going to talk. We, we know uh, when that topic comes up, what it is that I think about that. And we talk about those things. But that's not all we talk about as we are seeking to engage, and as I equip you as, as a pastor to engage with people in your community, because there are people at your workplace, in your family, in your schools, even in your friend groups, that you can engage with grace and with truth. You can let them know that even though it's a struggle, that, that this is what would be best for them. You, you can let them know that they're fearful, fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knows every one of their days even before one of them is lived. And temptation is something that comes upon us and, and temptation is something that, that draws us to, to be pragmatic and to, to do these things that we think are going to be the solution and it's just not. just not. And the more people that you walk with, the more that you'll see this. But we see it even in our own, even in our own hearts. We see it in our own minds. But Paul ends then with this uh, verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Paul has, has challenged the, the reader and said, uh, this, is, "This is a vice list. These are things that ought not to be done. These are things that are bad for you, but there is hope. God has, has come in the flesh that you might be able to believe on Him and have life abundantly and everlasting." And after the encouragement, he reasons with them and says, "I know what voices you've had from the outside. Don't believe those voices." I know you better. I created you. I made you. I know that you're struggling and suffering. I know that you're tempted. I know that you're discouraged. But then Paul finishes with, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Because of what happened with Adam and Eve. We, it's the fall of, of mankind. It, it affected everything. There's a, a concept that, if you want to Google it later, you can, but, but it's a, this concept that, that every part of us is broken in some way. From, from one end of the room to the other, from top to bottom, there is something that is broken about us and we know that we we feel that the book of james would call it a um this 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 individual sin or um i'm i'm getting my Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Paul understood what circumstances would feel like and cause him to doubt the goodness of God and cause him to to doubt the way that he could go on in his life. Paul, Paul got that. Paul even wrote in a second letter to the Corinthians, and, and we'll go there in just a second, 2 Corinthians 12. But what I would say to you today is that, that whenever we are encountering someone in the LGBTQ community, don't have spiritual amnesia. Don't, don't forget what some of you were. Maybe it's, but by the grace of God, there go I. Maybe it's that, that you were saved at an early age or you were just very risk adverse and so you didn't encounter um, much hardship or much pain. Maybe it is that you are coming out of a lifestyle and, and out of, a, out of a, a life that you can see very clearly the hand of God in your, um, in your mind and in the way that you act. But when we are dealing with someone who is, is dealing with, with LGBTQ temptation, being drawn away, being tempted to sin, let's not forget that, that we too have those particular desires. We have those ways that we are affected in our circumstance. And when we're communicating we can, we can go to Paul. Paul has been very clear in his challenge, very clear in his encouragement. And then he's reasoning, saying, I understand, but I'm, I'm giving you this, this understanding that, that you are tied with Christ. You are identifying with Christ. And so because of that, glorify God in your body. In Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, this this thorn in the flesh, this, this thing that was troubling him. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. As, as Paul is is closing this section of the book, First uh, Corinthians chapter seven kicks off on another completely different trail. He says, "Glorify God in your bodies," and he is speaking from experience of what it would be like for there to be temptation and there to be circumstance that would cause him to want to do something else. For the sake of time today, um, we can't continue to, to flip through. I want to I stay here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 just for these last few moments. But we need to see that, that the person in the LGBTQ community or, or the one who, who is struggling with those temptations, as they find their identity in Christ... They're going to be able to have the strength to live through that temptation. And if I was going to to put it in a couple of analogies, and then we'll close. Um, In Ezekiel chapter 14, we won't turn there, but in Ezekiel chapter 14, there's this idea of of God coming to Ezekiel saying, these men have put a stumbling block before their face. And, And they're taking something that really is in their environment and they are being blinded by it. Those in the LGBTQ community who are struggling with temptation, it's something that, we'll just call it a hand. It's something that is really there. And, and we don't have to deny that. We can say that that is, that is a, a thorn in the flesh. We can say that that is a temptation. But we don't engage that. And what we don't do is we don't put it right here. When we have it out here, we see everything else. We see the people around us. We see God's provision for us. We see what God has done when our hand is out here. But when we take that temptation, whether that is something in the LGBTQ type of temptation or whether it is something else, and we put it right before our face, we don't see anything else. When we put our identity in Christ, and we see that we are linked with him, that is what becomes the thing that we see. Everything else grows strangely dim when we cast our eyes on Christ. Those struggles actually become opportunities to show our love for and our worship for Christ. You will all struggle today with something. Every one of you, whether it's a third world problem like a stoplight that's too long at Higgins or whether it's a cancer diagnosis this week. Every one of us will struggle. Whether you're in the room and you struggle with LGBTQ temptation or whether or not you've done something and you, are, you know it's going to catch up with you. In, in those moments, when we're tempted to fret, when we're tempted to give in, we actually, we have this opportunity to worship God. We have this opportunity to glorify God. And, and as that, that anxiety rises, as that temptation rises, we have that ability. It is an indicator that we can then go to God and worship and say, God, I am so tempted right now. I am so struggling right now. The level is up here, but you're up here. And Father, I don't know how long I can do this. I don't know how long I can take this. I don't understand what you're doing. And my temptation, my struggle is right here. But Lord, you are right here. I worship you. I glorify you today. I glorify you right now. And so in a very real way, as Paul is winding down this argument, just in 1 Corinthians 6, there are multiple other texts that we could go to. But Paul is is painfully clear about the destructiveness of LGBTQ um, decisions and practice. He's clear about the weight of that temptation. But then he's also clear about the encouragement and the identity that we find in Christ. And so... A couple of takeaways and then I will close. One, be confident in God's word. Be confident in the word of God. It is clear that, that God made male and female. Scripture is sufficient to be able to see this. We see this from Old Testament to New Testament in the ways that the words were arranged. You don't have to raise your fist. You don't have to get angry. You can be uh, humble and kind, the second takeaway. Be humble and kind to people who sin different than you do. Be humble and kind to people who sin different than you do. Come alongside of them. Remember that 1 Corinthians 6 is for believers, not unbelievers. And when unbelievers act like they act, as, as one of my brothers who struggles with LGBTQ uh, temptation says, um, when, when you're coming alongside of me, don't act like I'm contagious. Don't, don't act like this is something that you can't be close to. And then finally, chase after Christ's likeness. Find your identity in Christ. And as you find your identity in Christ, you're going to be able to, to interact with the other person and to be able to show them that joy and that peace that comes out of not just the circumstances, not the temptations of life, but that identity in Christ that actually highlights temptation, highlights struggle, highlights carrying a cross, and it actually elevates the way that we glorify God in our bodies. Let's pray together, and then we'll sing another song in worship. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that you give me to, to share uh, the word, to be able to share an encouragement as as we are in a world that is is full of brokenness and, and full of struggle. Father, may we not be surprised by that. Let us be active in it. And God, I pray that you would have us to be uh, reminding ourselves and, and teaching ourselves about the truth of the gospel that we are washed and, and we are set apart for a purpose. And Father, we, we are motivated by your love for us to serve you. Father, I pray that you would have us to, to go from this place to, to talk about these things and to encourage one another with your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.